Episode four. I mean, we're moving along. Right? Yes. Episode four of the <laughs> Al Heron Talks podcast, and we've got our co-host back in the seat, Miss Benita Love, Mississippi's own uh, <laughs> Benita Love is here with us. Jackson, in in fact, or suburb of Jackson, the Jackson. I think you've always corrected me. Not in Ridgeland, by way of Cannon, Sharon, Mississippi. Okay, well, <laughs> whatever. I think that's a little. I guess a little more. The water situation is okay in Ridgeland. Is that why we're trying to? Okay. It is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Benita's here today, and we are welcoming a very special guest. Um, we wanted to have him on very early to kind of help us. We'll probably advance from seven listeners to. So quite a few now that uh, we have our special guest today. We have the senior pastor of the Concord Church here in Dallas, Mr. Brian Carter, is our special guest. And everybody knows uh, Pastor Carter. He is uh, just a phenomenal uh, uh, speaker, leader, teacher, just uh, just an all-out uh, great guy. And also, we'll be talking a lot about his book. He's written a book here recently uh, called Made to Last. Where's the camera there? Made to Last. You want to get you one. This is a real book. You know, this is not, you, know, you got a lot of <laughs> preachers want to be published authors and they'll do a, a pamphlet, a little trifold, and they can say, I'm a published author. But uh, <laughs> no, this, this is, it takes some work. You didn't, you can't just do this overnight. So, uh, and it's really good stuff. And it, it focuses on relationships and how important relationships are and, and what you have to do to make it last. So uh, Pastor Carter is our special guest, and so let's just get into it, man. Thanks for coming to hang out with us. Thanks for having me. Super excited to spend some time together and uh, thankful, for, thankful for your work and the impact of the uh, real estate company and how you're helping to change lives and helping people to find their forever homes. Okay. So, uh, man, it's a joy to be with you today. That's, that's, that's what we're after. And one of the things we always like to do with this podcast, we want to try to entertain, educate, and encourage. Okay. And so uh, you do all of those things on a weekly basis we at, can, at we Concord. Can, we can do it. Yeah, so we, we, <laughs> we want to do that uh, today so that we can impact some lives in a, in a positive way. So, But before I get started, I always like to – kind of get people to know the guests a little bit sure. and kind of keep it light at first yeah. and then we'll get right into it. And so I like to just ask, you know, a question. Uh, we've been asking questions more on the music level the last few times, but I want to do this with you. Is there, you know, your, your playlist and you don't have to, I know you'll give us the real playlist and I'm <laughs> sure it's got Kirk Franklin on and all that stuff, but you'll, you'll let us know if Jay-Z is on there, but your, your workout playlist. Cause I know you, you're, you fanatically go and work out cause you, you want to keep yourself in shape and, and healthy. I'm trying, I'm trying. So what, what does that playlist look like? That's a good question. See, I go to orange theory and they, the playlist is already made for gotcha. you. You know what I gotcha, mean? Gotcha, it's gotcha, already gotcha. made. But I guess if I had to make my own, I'd probably have my daughter help me and she okay. would probably put, Cardi B and Nicki Minaj and Jay Z, <laughs> she would make it real hype for me, okay, right? So okay. I can stay hype for right. the whole sixty minutes. Okay. Uh, anything that's energetic, I like hip hop, uh -huh. I like rap, I like uh, R and B as okay. well. So however, whatever you put that mixture together, I'm good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> A little motivational workout. Whatever's uh -huh. gonna keep okay. keep me hype. Right. You know what I mean? Whatever's gonna keep the energy high. Okay. Let's do that. You can do that. Yeah, okay. I'll say the other stuff, the R and B and all that for later. Okay. Now, do you keep the explicit version? 
You know what? I'm not really listening, right? You know what I mean? I'm just okay, in the right. mood, you just, right? You're I'm in the music. I'm not yeah, even okay, listening. Okay. I'm, just, I'm just grinding, okay. just trying to put the work in. So it doesn't really matter okay. at that point to me. I got you. I got you. I've got Especially I think, when it's in your headphones. So it's, it's your it, mix. Nobody mm-hmm. else. It's all on exactly. you. Right, right. I think I've got in, in Angela and the boys think I'm, I'm really old, but I can't. Even though I could, back in the day, I probably could do the more the explicit versions of stuff because I I could be a little more focused like that. But now I think I've turned into that old man that's like, oh, I cussing so much. You know what I mean? Like, golly, I got to have the, you know, I get distracted by that. Back in the day, I didn't. I just hear the music and roll it. But now I'm like, ah, oh, man. So, you know, I got to do clean versions. Okay. But, uh, well, except when... If the clean version has compromised the integrity, the right, of the, right, the integrity <laughs> of the style, you're right. It, you do have to go back to that because there are some styles that were designed we to, it. right, and it needs <laughs> to be right there. That, been right there. <laughs> so as long as it doesn't doesn't, doesn't distort the, the the meaning of the of the style, I'm good. But uh, yeah, okay, okay. And, and what about your? Um, I always like to take people back to you're younger than me, which you you like to always remind <laughs> me. Uh, but you're creeping on up that line. You're getting you're getting there. Well, that that I'm about uh, to leave the forties pretty soon. That's right. Well, that's so right. So far, I'm holding on. Listen, and that one is that's that one's traumatic. I can believe it. Oh man, that was traumatic. We hit that five, oh man, because then you. You remember when people were turning 50 back in the day. You're like, oh, they go. Yeah, but uh, so back in the day, you know, and it, I don't know if you were doing tapes or CDs, but back in the day we used to make a little uh, kind of a romantic uh, mixtapes like for, uh-huh. for dates, a mm-hmm. little mixtape. And, uh, and, and you would always have certain songs you put on there. So I'm, I'm curious, what was the – before it was Pastor Carter, it was what was the Brian Carter uh, slow jam mixtape looking like back in the day? What what was an essential? What songs had to be I on there? I was a romantic. I, I had to say, I have to admit, I was I was I was a romantic. So I would put it all together. I'd put the Jodeci mm-hmm. with the R. Kelly before R. Kelly yep. with R. Kelly. <laughs> I put on there. Uh, he had some good hits. I put on. Um, Aaliyah had a few nice slow jams. A little. I do a little Levert. I do a oh. little uh, 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 LeBron McKnight, and then mix in a little Joe. Joe was always mm. good for a couple <laughs> nice slow hits. Uh, uh, that would probably be kind of some of the key. key Those key I players think, yeah, right there. The they were in the nineties. In the nineties, some yeah. of the some of the key key players. Yeah, that's it. Nineties Key Sweat. Did Keith you have Key Sweat? Was always yeah. Key Sweat was hanging in there too. Right. Yeah, he was hanging in there. Johnny Gill. They were. Yeah. They were hanging in there a bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Benita, you I don't know if you were putting, well, you still baby. Oh, you, were, yeah, I, you don't know, but I you I told were, you before, if you go look at my Spotify, most of my um, my playlists right now are 90s music. See, well, that's, you, you know all <laughs> yeah, about it then. Johnny that's Gill, yeah, like, Brian, I've, been a, I've been in like two Brian McKnight concerts. I love oh, Boys wow. the Men. Okay. I love, told you. All right, well, okay, you're all right then. Your musical taste is all right. I know you... <laughs> Huge Mariah Carey fan. I know that's your your your, your favorite. Are we gonna talk about Mariah on every? No, no, no. We won't talk about Mariah every time. But I just, you know, yeah, we just we know we recognize that Mariah is a big deal for you. So, um, okay, very good, very good. Babyface was in that mix. You know, oh, there's some yeah. good classics mm-hmm. in that. Very good. Babyface, late '80s, early '90s. Mm-hmm. Babyface was was good. Now I've 
come to recognize now that he can't sing. That's what everybody has said. We've discovered that. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> the songs were good, though, right? But they were he made can't. For him. They were yeah, made for I him. guess so, right. Because I was like, you know, you hear him now. I'm like, Whip Bill? Whip Bill was a very good song. I thought. So y'all think he can't sing on that? No, if you really listen I, to yeah, it. Now I'm, you're right. I'm, he now doesn't I'm have, a, have a, a huge range. He has a correct yeah. range. Yeah, but yeah. the music in general. Oh, incredible yes, songwriter, yes, all yes. that. Without a doubt, without a doubt, without a doubt, just not the the vocalist we we gave him credit for mm-hmm. back then. So, uh, but cool, cool, cool. Well, very good. Well, Pastor Carl, I want to. Uh, I always like to give kind of a backstory on on a lot of our guests, and your situation is very unique. I've been able to to watch it uh, happen. Uh, we've we Pastor Carl and I've been friends for a long time. Long time. And, uh, before he was past the car, probably right. twenty years. Yeah, without that, our oldest kid. You yeah. ba- base it on that. So our oldest, um, well, no, else is twenty one. So yeah, we it's yeah over tw- over tw- yeah. Um, so so I've I've seen this this rapid ascent that you go from school teacher uh, in in Fort Worth, right? That's right. Uh, to all of a sudden, within how many years? Within the was it a total of five? Within five years, you go from school teacher, teaching what? You were a science teacher, I think? Mm-hmm. Teaching science. Teaching mm-hmm. science, and then you go, you join Concord. And tell us about what you were doing at Concord when you first got here. So, um, yeah, so every pastor I knew had two jobs. And so I decided that I would be a teacher, a principal, kind of in that space, and then a pastor as well. And so, I was teaching school, middle school science, while we were members at the church because we looked for churches and joined that church. And then uh, two years after teaching, the pastor, Pastor Bailey, invited me to come join the staff. I said, what? You can work at the church? Like there's something to do during the week. And uh, I was ecstatic to even know it existed. A staff was there. And so I joined the staff, and uh, it really was like a dream for me at the time. I was over all the Bible studies, all the small groups, uh, writing curriculum. I mean, it was it was in the educational sphere, right. but now I'm going to do it in life of the church. And I was I enjoyed it. At the same time, I was kind of his right hand guy. You know, whatever he needed, he would ask me to do it. And uh, and then ultimately, uh, I remember one time I had an, an an admin assistant, and she said to me, "Why do you keep getting all these projects? How how is it that we keep getting all this extra work?" I said, "I don't know, but I just I've always had a passion, just to take it on. Let's do it. Let's try it." And then um, he started a succession plan. He 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 had said he wanted to retire at fifty five or start the process at fifty five, and he had shared with the elders that um, that he wanted to do this. And so at fifty four. Um, I mean, at 55, he starts looking for someone to start this process. But when he becomes ill, he expedites it, right? He had planned to wait, but he becomes ill and says, you know, I need to start the process now. Uh, Because his plan was to go from 55 to 65. This 10-year transition plan Mm -hmm. was his plan. So at 55, he starts looking. um, And he, he then comes to me throughout this process and says, the initial candidate just kind of wanted to stay where they were. And he says to me, you're my plan B. You're young um, and, and, and you have something and you're gifted and I believe I can invest in you. And, and you're what age at that time? I am 27. Okay. I'm 27 at this uh, point. And so um, 
He says, go home, talk to you. I want you to be, here's the role, the assistant pastor, but also my successor, should anything happen to me. At this point, we're, we're, I mean, he's, he's recovering, so things seem fine. Um, and so then he says, I want to take it to the church. The church then votes on it and everything. Talk to my wife. My wife like, what? What does he want you to do? I said, I don't even really, like, you know how stuff happens to you. And you're like, now, wait a minute. Like, you really want me to do? Now, what are you asking me to do again? Right. Again, now, I'd always dreamed about it. At 17, I said, I want to lead a church uh, with a school that's impacting the community. Like, that, that was my dream. And so at 27, they get this opportunity. I was like, okay, well, you know, whatever you want me to do, right? And, uh, and so um, the church approves it. And then a year, we start walking together. Mind you, he has been mentoring me and coaching me for two years. And then a year into the process, he passes away. And that's when it just becomes incredibly sobering. Because now the one that has poured into me, invested in me, has now passed away. And now I'm sitting in this seat, uh, pastoring one of the most largest churches in, in Dallas, young and this is now i'm 29 at this point and i'm just i'm trying to figure out okay what do i do from here and so it's a you know it's one of those moments right where you got to believe if you're asking god you don't know the circumstances you don't know how god works you don't know how your life works but i do believe it teaches us to just believe what you want you know think about how you can serve think about the purpose think about the impact and just trust him for how he guides you through those moments i mean that was now it's been 19 years ago, but, um, but, but, but God has been, it's been incredible how the lessons I've learned and just what it's taught me. So, and here's what's so amazing about this, you know, at 29 and not an experienced pastor, sure. uh, now forced to lead one of the largest churches sure. in Dallas, one of the most influential churches too. Uh, as far as the membership, so you've got you know you've, you're about to lead leaders, sure. and that's a that's a whole nother sure, thing. Sure. And so, and you're about to lead leaders who were following, not just a pastor, but they were following the founder sure. of the church. Sure. So you're stepping in the big shoes. You following Bear Bryant, sure, basically, sure, right? Sure, sure. And you know, of course, you know Ansel and I, we <laughs> big supporters. We knew you could do it, but. We know, and you know, there were a whole lot of people who thought there is no way sure. this young guy from Oklahoma is going to make this work. Sure. In fact, they were already, you know, talking the demise of the church and who was going to have to come in and uh, who was going to be next <laughs> up. You know, they were already looking for, you know. Right, getting ready to and, save. Right, right. Who, who's going to be the next up? Yet, I mean, the job you did and have done is miraculous. Now, obviously, God is sure. in that, right? Sure. Um, but your ability, and here's what I think, and then you you know, you can tell us, but the key I, I saw early is that you had an ability to nurture relationships. People were rooting for you. Sure because of your ability to connect with people. And when you connect with people, people then feel like, hey, I want him to win. I want this to be successful. So people were trying to make it 
to where they could, if there was any obstacle that needed to help move out of your way to be successful, they were doing it. Sure. And so, but I want to know what is the mindset? Cause I'm sure here you are standing in this position and you know that, you know, right. I, everything right. I just said, you know, right. that's what's being said right. and what, what people are thinking. How do you have the confidence and feel secure in yourself and your abilities and your skills that I can lead this church? Yeah, so so I think I think you're exactly right. I think the the pressure, I mean any following any founder in any organization, business, church, schools, uh po- politically, I mean in any of those spaces it can be incredibly challenging, particularly when it's the founder. Because the founders had so much influence, they've had so much, so much of a long season. Like you say, people have come there for them, not the successor. And so, those moments are incredibly um, pivotal in terms of how that successor handles that moment. And there's a lot of ways you can mishandle it. You can come in trying to wipe out what your what your founder did, and say, "Forget about that person. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be even better than them." You can come in just really having your own agenda, right? I'm just going to do what I want to do and kind of ignore the culture, the the history, the context. Uh, or you can just kind of shrink in it, right? Which means you just you just don't really do anything. You just keep it moving, right? You just kind of keep going what was always done, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many ways you can approach it. And for me, I think the, the gift that, that, that I've had was just leadership. I mean, from high school to college uh, to when I was teaching school, I was a, the, the, the team leader. I think honing those leadership gifts gave me a set of tools that even though I was young, I think I've had, it may have been a smaller entity, but I've had to navigate through some of those same dynamics, sure. right? Gaining, helping people to build consensus, Right, trying to connect with different audiences. So I had to connect with this audience that had been there a long time, help them feel affirmed, help them feel valued, help them feel celebrated, help them feel heard. Did a lot of listening, right? And then I had to figure out, okay, what does the vision look like? Like, where do we, where do we go? What does the future look like? So we don't get stuck in, we were the greatest church then, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was this tension of hearing them, listening to them, knowing my context, while at the same time honoring what had been accomplished, right? It wasn't a, that was nothing. It was, man, that was a great season. We did this. Let's celebrate him. Let's celebrate their family. Let's, let's honor the, the foundation that we have. But guess what? There's a future that's as bright as our past. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about what does the future look like? How do, we, how do we raise up the next generation? How do we disciple children? How do we impact our community in a new way? How do we... Uh, help people to understand God's word and God's purpose for their lives. And so by, by, cap, by capturing that on top of, I think every leader has to be a learner. I think when leaders start learning, they stop growing. And so on top of trying to manage this consensus and connect with these audiences, at the same time, listening and learning, what are best practices in times of transition? Uh, I leaned a lot on, uh, I was, I leaned a lot on books. I leaned a lot on certain people. I would call every major decision I would make. I'd call somebody that had been there, mm-hmm. you know, and I would say, Hey, some of his friends, what should I do here? What are my options? How does this work? And so it helped me. 
it helped minimize my mistakes by leaning on their wisdom and the mentors and the coaching I got from others. So I think all of those things helped me to navigate through that, that part. And I just believe, too, you know, sometimes you got to know that, you know, if God puts you in a position, right, that you got to have confidence to know that if he, if he, if he put places you there, he's right. also going to give you the tools that you need. That doesn't mean the fear goes away, right? Sure. But it does mean that you say, all right, I'm going to give this the best I've got, right? That's all I got, right? I'm going I'm to I'm believe that he's given me some tools. I'm going to leverage all my resources, and we're going we to go in at 110. Let's see what, the, let's see what happens, right. right? Let's see what God does, right? And that's what I did, man. I leaned all the way in, used everything I had, leveraged every resource I could, read every book I could, went to school, and I was just trying. I said, we'll give it 110. The only problem with that is you can be so driven to try to prove you belong, to try to prove you're significant, to try to prove that you can do this, that you can lose yourself in the midst of all that. That's the only temptation about it, right, is that when there's so much pressure, right, you can, you can, you can lose yourself trying to, trying to accomplish what, trying to be great, right? Sure. You're trying to be so great. So there were moments probably later on that I had to regroup myself mm-hmm. and say, listen, whether this wins or not, you're still valuable, right? Whether that happens or not, you're still significant, right? Your value and your worth is not just in what you're able to build. Mm-hmm. Your value and worth is who you are. And who God has called you to be, the the who you whether that happens or not, you're still valuable. But those are those are just some of the things trying to navigate through. Yeah, well, it's amazing because you know, as long as I've known you and you've had this conversation with you too, I was like, what you know, you started young, you know, you may when you retire from this, you've got a career in business. I mean, you you're a great. CEO basically of of a major operation in in a church that size with that kind of staff, and you know the story goes you know for those who, who wonder okay how does so you go from that not only do you retain you know sure maybe some people left I don't know who but they didn't leave in in droves in fact it started growing it did and it, it started did. growing like wildfire. It did. And yeah. so now we have how many members at Concord? We got about ten. Th- it tripled in ten years. It tripled. We in went from where we it were. Tripled. It tripled, and we had to build a new building. <laughs> so it was crazy. Just to, we reached an entire new generation. So we went from a foundation of basically my parents mm-hmm. to now my peers who helped us grow these last twenty years, and now we're trying to reach our children. Mm-hmm. Right. So now it's this next wave mm-hmm. that that I'm that I'm hopeful we can do well. Right. And continue this generational impact. Right. So and, yeah, and what's so um, powerful about that, it 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 feels and I'm sure it was part of it's intentional. You, you had a uh, a vision that wanted to do things that a lot of churches had failed to do. And that was be able to move from one generation to the next generation to that next generation where the church is still relevant in the lives of, of all of those folks. And so, you know, I I've grew up in a church that was a, a very prominent uh, church. And, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, that church, like so many other churches, becomes content with and comfortable with serving those who are there right now. 
In other words, <clears throat> it becomes uh, lose some of the, the the mission of the church because now we feel like the church is designed to just okay, we're just gonna make everybody who's here comfortable and serve them and. Anything outside of these walls is outside of these walls. It's all about who's here now. Yeah. But your vision was, no, we got to reach right. who, who's next. It, I, it's, the, it's the question that every business organization church has to answer, mm-hmm. right? It's the, it's the blockbuster right. dynamic, right. right? It's the Sears dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, do you want to serve one generation? Are you willing to make the changes to reach the next, right? right. It's this constant evolution and managing change that every entity must must process Mm -hmm. because if they don't they get stuck right right? they get stuck in one generation because they never were willing to take the next step and so i think as a church what i've tried what i've worked hard to do is to constantly study culture study what's changing and try to implement change uh with time to try to get us to where, where we can pop, to get us to that next generation. And sure. so we cannot be as a church, we've had to discover who are, who we can reach well, mm-hmm. right? We, we, we have found out that we reach, that we have a really good sweet spot for reaching early 30 somethings, mm-hmm. right? If we go up to 20 somethings, that's a hard reach mm-hmm. for where we sit. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it, mm-hmm. but the, the, the shifts that we'd have to make, the music, the style, the dress, the mm-hmm. shifts, the, the communication, it's a big shift as opposed to us figuring out, okay, who can we reach well mm-hmm. and let's go after them. Right. What we've typically found is that we're able to reach probably one generation, just a, our, our younger brothers, right? Okay. Me and your, our younger brother, okay. our younger sister, mm-hmm. because that's where we sit. And so, but we've had to constantly... We've had we've had we've had consultants come in, evaluate our church from the website to social to the parking lot experience to the worship experience to the child care experience and give us unfiltered content about what their experiences were mm-hmm. and how we can make changes. We've had to we've gone to conferences to learn what are best practices. We've visited other churches, what are, what's working, what's not working. We've had to constantly say, okay, how do we continuously improve? so that we can reach people well and not get stuck. And that's, I mean, that's, that is every, it's, it's, it's what you have to do. Now, the part, the challenge of that is that it's not easy, right? right. It's not easy yeah. to hear the truth. It's not easy to hear that doesn't work anymore. It's not easy to hear, well, you know that, you know, I mean, you have to be humble. You've got to be, uh, uh, you've got to be humble enough to ask questions and to learn from other people. I was recently at a conference in, uh, in January. And I, I was sitting there, and I was sitting there taking notes. He said, you, you're not here to do it. I said, no, I came with my team to take notes. I'm not here to speak. I'm not here to sit on. No, I'm, I'm here as a student because I really want to learn how we can strengthen our organization. And so that's for me, that's the only way to get better right. and to not get stuck <coughs> doing church for myself. Right. So easy. What songs I like the flow that I like, the topics I like, but I can't because I want my children to one day want to come to my church. That's it. Now, you have to do all of that while still not alienating your core a tough group. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of places, uh, you know, and I know a lot of young ministers too that uh, as 
growing up. I don't know how I got into a pool of people who wanted to be ministers and stuff. But, you know, a lot of them <clears throat> went into it the wrong way. They had a shot at being a pastor, and, you know, it was grand opening, grand closing because they <laughs> went into that thing thinking they could, you know, make all these changes all of a sudden. But what Pastor Carter was able to do and is still doing is you educate your group that you have. The group that you have needs to understand and know that you all are the ones who brought us here. You all, you're the engine of this thing. But he educates them to let them know that this thing is bigger than us. And so what we need as a group to be able to do is put ourselves in positions to be able to be attractive and appeal to that next generation that needs to become a part of this. And they bought in that concord. And so you grow like that. And those who were there, many from the very beginning, there's still a lot of people from the very beginning at Concord. Um, they bought in and they 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 applaud the successes. They want to see that that uh, that vision comes to fruition. And so, but it's, it takes the relationship with and the care for it. So you can't, in other words, you can't neglect those who brought you here to go after others. Right. So that, but the way you, you you bring them to the process of wanting to participate and be a part of bringing the the new in, and so it works so so well there. But it does that does not work in a lot of places because that that piece there that that acknowledgement of I have to also make sure that people know why we're doing this. Well, you know, it's, um, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure there are, but it has to be one of the more challenging aspects of leadership is to try to make, try to retain while you still build. Mm -hmm. I, I think that is, because sometimes people you're, you're connected with or the foundation, right? Even myself, the, the, the older you get, sometimes the more uh, rigid rigid you become, sure. right? And so the, the more, and so it, it, it can be, right? If that's a, ch that's a challenge, it really is. I think we work hard at it, but uh, it takes a lot of collaboration, right, for us to say, you know, the only place it happens is for our kids. When people become parents, they will change and do whatever they got. They go sit in those gyms. They'll go follow those kids all around. They'll do all that. But they'll do it for them. But then sometimes when we come to other entities, we just want to do it. <laughs> we want it our way, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so it's this tension of trying, like you say, remind people, listen, we're trying to build, make sure we understand it's not just about us, mm -hmm. but it's always about the person that's not here yet. And that's the uniqueness really about churches that, the way that we believe our the way that the faith way that we believe the church works best is by understanding I'm always here for the person not here yet, but I'm here to give my seat away. That I'm here and so constantly helping us understand it's not about us is critical because the moment we sink in and think it's mine or it ought to be done this way or how come we don't do more of this or how come we don't do more of that, that's when you end up in this spiral, you know. Um, and you miss the mission, right? right. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's this tension that's there, right? And so it's, 
it's uh I love it, but I also realize that's one of the things that probably keeps me up at night. Right. Is right. this this tension of saying, Mother, are you okay? She said, Well, baby, we need to do this. Why don't we do this anymore? I said, Well, mother, you know. And so just having those dialogues right. and helping us to continue to stay focused on the vision, it's a constant, constant yeah. deal. Yeah. Well, with the change and everything, um, of the church and how you say you evolve, um, you keep learning. Do you feel like it's hard? Of course, like you said, like especially some maybe the older people or people who've been there for years saying, okay, why are we doing this or why are we changing this? But do you think it's hard to, as you, especially here in the modern days, compromise, not to compromise, you know, what the church stands for and its values and principles? Is that is that hard? So I think you're spot on, right? The changes you make, we don't, we don't change our our message. Right. We change our methods, right? We don't change the function. We just change the form of how it's done. Mm-hmm. And so you're exactly right. You, you have to retain that and remind people we're retaining it. It's just we're doing it in a new way, mm-hmm. right? We, we may change. Uh, worship is the same, right? But we just, it's a production, so there's lights and there's there's graphics and there's screens and there's all this. It's the same gospel. It's the same lyrics, different songs. But don't let the the new experience, right, right. production make you feel a bit disconnected, right? Because it's not what you're accustomed to. Because now it's not just for you. There's more people online watching than in the room. And so production is designed to make sure it's an incredible online experience for people. Because when they watch it, they want to see a, a, a vivid experience, right? So it's all these, you're exactly right. We're just trying different things. So whether it's social media, right? Before, you would sit in the in the lobby of the church and just have a great conversation. Now you do the same thing online on social. We, have the, we continue the conversation all week long. Mm-hmm. So you're exactly right. There is that tension of saying, hey, let's hold on to who we are, right? But let's adjust and be open and be flexible, because as culture shifts, that doesn't mean we change who we are. It just means that we got to be open to how we do and think about ministry. I think uh, Concord was already um, ahead of the curve on 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 embracing social media, um, digital media as a as a whole, and then boom, the pandemic happens. And I think getting a head start on this before the pandemic allowed Concord to make it through that thing uh, as as healthy as it did, where a lot of other places it couldn't make it. They could not make it because you had to have the ability now uh, to still exist, still present the message, still uh, keep community with people who couldn't come into one place together. So talk about that. How, that was an amazing experience, and Concord made it through that with flying colors. And it just so happened in 2019, we had we had worked with a company that had come in and had really evaluated our church, the company I mentioned to you before. And so the consultant had recommended several things to us. And one of them was really about our stage. They said, your stage is a bit dated. I said, listen, I just, we just built this building, and I just, just did this, and I just did this. And he's like, well, well, anyway, it's, it's a little dated. I said, oh, man. And so it's about five years old. I said, listen, I just, we just raised this. And so he said, well, you need to update it every so many years. I mean, I'm like, your brand needs to be updated. So we redid our brand. We redid. And so we were in the process of redoing our stage. Um, it was, we were planning it for Easter, April 2020. 
And of course, everything shut down March 2020. Right. So as we were doing that, our new stage came in with the LED wall. Uh, so we were already making some trends to try to be more appealing online, not knowing that this was a shift we were going to make. Mm. We had made a couple key hires on our team at the same time, right before this happened. Uh, somebody over social, somebody on our production team. So some of these key hires and some of the investments we were making really positioned us to, to really leverage the digital and the social space. And so it was, but it, ha- it would not have happened had we not been studying trends, right. being open to looking at where we were, what needed to happen. So all those things happened in a context so that when the, when the COVID, when the pandemic happened, we could just, we could ramp up, right? We could leverage that. And then on top of that, our outreach arm in the church, I mean, we, we had already created and founded a community development corporation that really focused on four pieces, mental health counseling. Uh, we also had a food pantry to help service people. And then we had job placement. And, and then uh, the other ones are like rental and housing, rent, rental assistance and utility assistance. So around those four, when you get in the pandemic, those are the four that are also the, are where high needs are, mental health, right, food. And so we were able to then just let, ramp up our efforts. And we had our, our most significant year in serving individuals in, the, in those space, and, it's, and we're still in that space. But it was as though we were uniquely positioned because we were already doing the work, already engaged, and all we had to do was just get new partners and do more of what we felt needed to be happening to serve our communities. Excellent. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a business lesson, too. So it's not just uh, what you're talking about. It's not just germane to churches. I mean, this is any business person or, or entity uh, needs to always be in a position to what they are consuming and learning and, and, and uh, uh, trying to implement is something that is a few steps ahead of where everything is because – you know, the things catch up to you quickly. That pandemic shows up, and then immediately you have to now put this plan into to action full force. You already were doing it somewhat, but now you had to, to make it happen. And, you know, you could have easily have not gone to those conferences. Right. You could have easily said, hey, we're doing great. We, we You know, uh, everybody comes to our services. We have a packed house every, every, every Sunday. You could have thought, okay, we're good, until you weren't good. And that's where most businesses, most churches, most marriages, most everything fails at the point of we're not good or, the, or that we're good until we're not good. There's no preparation. There's no um, uh, There's no tool, uh, uh, tool chest that's been uh, uh, acquired that presents you with options to help move you past uh, a new obstacle. Uh, because you've decided to be complacent and and believe that you're good where you are. So right now, during the pandemic, you know, a lot of us, <laughs> Conquer was great. And it was good being able to eat that breakfast at home and <laughs> watch on TV <laughs> and get in the bed and kind of, right? you know, you know, you could go to Bedside Baptist and the Concord, right? right? You had both. <laughs> and uh, And so now there are some people who won't come back, mm. that they their experience now is online. 
And um, and so obviously people have come back and they've come back in droves, but there is a big segment who this is what that new normal is their normal right. now. And right. so, but Concord is in a position that you can handle all of it. Right. So how are you, I would imagine, because there is, there is a lot to be said for, it's nothing like coming into the right. house of the Lord, mm-hmm. right, to, in, in a group saying that is the, to me, ideal. It's almost like a, you know, Texas OU. It's, it's not the, you're watching it at home on TV is cool, but it's, it's something about being in that place, right, when it's going down. And so uh, how do you still knowing that there's going to be always be a, there's always going to be more people outside than are inside just by nature of the of, of society. We got a lot of people that you're reaching all over the world who right. watch the broadcast now. And so you always have to now pay attention to that group, but you still want to make sure you are appealing to those who want to come inside to worship. How, what what are you doing with regards to that? Right. I mean, it's an incredibly exciting time, right? Because the church has always been kind of slow adopters in mm-hmm. many spaces, especially in technology space. It's just sometimes you don't have the resources or the ingenuity to kind of think about it until we get stuck in our ways. What the pandemic did was really force the church to actively begin thinking about how are we leveraging technology in a way to be able to connect with people. If our goal is to reach people, if our goal is to share the gospel, then why are we the only ones not leveraging a tool that allows us to reach the world? And so the pandemic gave us uh, an incredible permission slip to be able to say, okay, hey, this is the way that you do it. And so it's been an exciting time for us to, to to really figure out how do we do both well? How do we create an engaging and inspiring uh, time uh, experience uh, in person, uh, and which is which is which is incredible for us, which is exciting for us. The challenge of of tweaking and studying and 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 shaping mm-hmm. so that people leave experience, inspired and encouraged and challenged and knowledgeable about what God's plan is for their life. But at the same time, they get a, a experience of being connected to others. We started something called First Sundays last year, and we've continued we're, we're, where we wanted to create kind of a connecting experience for people after service on Sunday. So we created an outdoor experience uh, with a lawn and with chairs and food trucks. And so once a month, what we realized is that when people were coming back, they wanted uh, a worship experience, but some of them were also looking to get connected your relationships. Mm-hmm. So we created a, basically a mixer. That's what we just put it a happy yeah. hour. Okay. We created a happy hour <laughs> after church <laughs> without the uh without the drinks, you know. Right. So we tried the best we could to try to create this experience people could get to know each other, listen to music. And so that was a part of what we what we brought back. And we saw a lot of success with it. And and so we began to realize that we wanted to have worship, but we also want to provide connections. Mm-hmm. People want relationships. They want to get to know each other. They want to meet people. And so that's one element that we found was new for us in this kind of post-COVID world. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we wanted to also figure out how do we create a, a, a solid digital experience. And so we begin to, to measure and, and, and try to... Um, try to put together a criteria or a evaluation for what does that look like, right? So that we're not just uh, broadcasting the service, but that they're getting experiences that make them feel as connected as possible. Mm-hmm. So the camera angles 
and uh, the way the, sh- the, the service is shot and the greeting before and after service and what's happening in the chat and making sure we're talking to both people in the service. So we've been, we've been in school watching and learning and studying so that we can create two incredible experiences so that whoever the person is, they can feel like this works for us. And so it's been fascinating. We, we, we had a young lady that lived in the Atlanta area that flew here to, to get baptized, uh, but she watches every Sunday. Had another young lady that mm-hmm. uh, joined one of our grow groups. And so her, she, the grow group is all online, but the members, half of the team lives here, so she came to come f- hang out with them for a weekend. It's just, it's been fascinating to watch. We got a note from a member in California who's, who watches and was sending in her, her ties just to support the ministry. And so, wow. uh, and then what happened was we had so many people that joined online that their first experience has probably been the last year when they finally saw the church. They had never been to the building. They had joined online. The church was closed. They opened up. And so now, so it's been, uh, it's been, it's been a fascinating experience to kind of watch all this happen. The truth of the matter is that the last three years, uh, you know, all of our own, a lot on has been online. We just had a really trying year. Mm-hmm. It's this year where we've seen a lot of growth. We, we Right now we're seeing about 4,000 people in, in, in person, about 5,000 people online. And so it's been, we're, we're trying, mm-hmm. now we're getting them back in the building with more consistency than we did last year. Yeah. Yeah. Now, doing a great job. Right. Love yeah. it. Love it. And so now I, I do want to, this this is great, and we and wish we could have you for for. You know, we could talk to you forever, but I, I know we, we need to, to to move closer to, to our close. But I've got a couple of questions for you um, Well, since we have Benita here. So Benita's younger than, than us, of course, and so she's of a different generation. But you had a wonderful – the news is documented. You were on the news with this, and we've done this for a number of years – the uh, series that you preach about uh, where you're, you're moving couples from uh, living together, cohabitating, I think that's the phrase, I don't know, you know, shacking is what I grew up knowing <laughs> it as. And uh, and you you were trying to move them from shacking to, to marriage if that's what needed to happen. And I mentioned that to our co-host, Benita, uh, about that. And, uh, and uh, Benita apparently, um, you know, she, she thinks there's something to be learned from uh, – shacking or cohabitating that uh, she thought was uh, was good. And I just kind of wanted her to share that opinion with you, and you might be able to kind of help her out. So on the on the, that next relationship she's got, maybe that'll um, find itself ended in marriage. So, uh, But then I'll turn it over to you. Wow. Okay. No I did not say I think it's good. Well, I, you, you, okay, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You, exactly. you, okay, you say exactly. what you said then. Um, no, we were talking about, you know, how do you, how do I feel about shacking up or cohabitating? I don't necessarily feel as. <laughs> yeah, see, I know what you're doing. Cause you just realized your dad might be your dad and mom watching this. And then you, all of a sudden this, you swerving no, all my, over the road. No, my opinion basically is that I, I feel like, um, from experience, I feel like you don't truly know a person until you live with them. Now, am I saying that I have to go live with every man that I'm in a relationship with? No. Um, But I think especially when it comes to marriage, you know, not having 
lift the person or whatever, it's, it would be hard for me sure. to sure. marry a person without seeing. I mean, obviously, I probably would see how they live, but not living. Sure, that's fair. So I would, you know. I like to hear what you have to say about that. I I appreciate that. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Well, I was trying to put me on the spot. (laughs) So, you know, one of the, as we talk about relationships and, and one of the things we've discovered, right, is we're going to reach people well. We've had to always try to figure out how do we do ministry in ways that connect with people. Mm -hmm. And so cohabitation, living together, it's really has skyrocketed the last 15 years or so. And really for today's relationships, it's the norm. Right. Like, I think it's someone like 60, 70% of relationships of couples live together before married. I mean, it's just, it has become the norm for mm-hmm. relationships. And so what we tried to do as a church was, although it's the norm, people do it for a number of reasons. They do it, as you mentioned, to, uh, to get to know the person. They do it as a kind of precursor to marriage to see to kind of test each other out to figure out if this is really good for me. A lot of people felt like it became a normative because of the uh, divorce culture, and so we got to figure out how to do relationships better. And so there's a lot of reasons why people use it. We believe the scripture teaches us that that marriage, a covenant, really can't be tested out. And so what we decided to do was say, okay. Most people that that getting up in cohabitation, they never really decide to do it. They often slide into it, and so it starts with a bag, <laughs> then a couple boxes, <laughs> then a couple more boxes, a couple more pair of shoes, and then a drawer. And then before long, it's it's the they, we all with the whole we all in the key. Here's the key. Here's the key. Right, You're okay. in now. <laughs> and so the temptation with that, the challenge with that is that by sliding into it. The, the rules, right, are we exclusive, are we not? It's just so much mm-hmm. uh, gray area, right, that 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 can make it challenging for the relationship to really work. And so what we what we started was a little program called the 90-day marriage, the 90-day marriage, the 90-day cohabitation challenge, or from cohabitation to covenant. And what we did was we, we asked couples that were living together to take a 90-day, we, we said, listen, we want to help you get married rather than just living together. And so we want to give you a 90-day challenge to help prepare you for marriage. At the end of the marriage, at the end of the challenge, we'll give you a free wedding, free tuxedo, free wedding. We'll take care of all the calls as long as you take care of working on the marriage. And we're going to give you 10 weeks of classes. So we give them 10 weeks of classes. They go through the class, and at the end of it, we give them a free wedding. But our hope is to help people that have that know they want to be together, but have settled and are just living together mm-hmm. rather than taking the step toward marriage. And oftentimes it's not the woman, it's the man right. that it just settled in. I mean, he's good. You're like, okay, I'm good. You know, I mean, this is what we got. Mm-hmm. But we believe we just believe there's something incredibly significant about marriage as opposed to just living together. And so especially from God's where he just teaches us that marriage is valued by him, is honored by him, and, and, and the covenant is incredibly special. And so we, we've done it. We've, we've married over 100 couples over the last uh, 13, 14 years with really about a 70% uh, success rate, particularly uh, in the last 10 years. We've, we've changed some things that's given us a higher rate of success. 
while the divorce rate remains around 50%. So, I mean, we're, we've been able to help a lot of couples. There's a young man today I was talking to. He was in our, prog- our program probably probably six years ago. And he was like, man, I am so thankful. He said it helped me. It challenged me as a man. Uh, it gave me the tools I needed for my marriage. And we've been happily married the last five, six years. And I'm so thankful for, uh, for how it helped me. But, uh, but yeah, it's a popular, it's a popular, popular. Everybody lives together today. I mean, it's just, it's just where it is. The challenge is that we're trying to help people to really move to this space. It, now, it's not for everybody, right? If you, if you don't belong together, we encourage you to just to right. find your, your exit ramp as well, right? I feel like some but, people get codependent. They and they're, oh, they I don't have to pay as many bills. Now right, I'm going to live with you. Right, right. <laughs> they live with it for the convenience, <laughs> right. right? And not out of the love right. or, the, or the affection or that I value. It's just out of the fact that I'm I'm trying to mm-hmm. save yeah, some money. Save some money. <laughs> <laughs> Get your roommate, not not her. Exactly. Right? Get your roommate. <laughs> <laughs> Very cost effective this way. Right, 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 right. No, I, I agree. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. I love it. Okay. One I'm thing saying. I will say I love about and what you said um, during this whole podcast about Concord and what you guys have there is you guys are all about community, helping the community, bringing together the community, and just you know really being a resource. So. We really? appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you so very much. Without a doubt, they are uh, Concord. They, they, I'm a member. Of Concord. <laughs> Concord is a is a lesson uh, for anyone who wants to to study it of being what uh, an organization is supposed to be. If, if the, Concord is is definitely a good steward of of all the resources that it's given, and because it goes out as a as a church as a body of people trying to be. Uh, a blessing to others, right? It's, it's one thing to just, you know, just kind of collect a bunch of money and get your past a, a Rolls Royce or something. You know, you've seen that in certain neighborhoods. You go to a little house church on Frio and the Rolls Royce bigger than the church, and you're like, "What's? That? I don't know how that how that works." But you know, so you know, there are a lot of people who you know are, are down on churches and stuff because of they don't they don't see the impact they don't understand Mm -hmm. what you know how a highly functioning church really impacts the community but concord is that and 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 the great piece of that is because concord has such a great leader in brian carter and man it was it was a pleasure to have you with us thank you so very uh, much hopefully you had a good time with us too great time this has been fun uh, and we'll have to bring you back again so So, all of you who are listening we'd like for you to uh you know, obviously subscribe and like and share and let everybody know uh, about our uh, podcast here. So, again, thank you. Hopefully you got something out of today, and we'll see you next time. Thanks so very much.